brothers and sisters. We'd like to welcome you to the Adventures Podcast. Thank you, Jesus. didn't eat or drink and they say he's canceled your boy came eating and drinking and they say check him a hype beast catching an L this was a Gen Z translation of Matthew 11 18 through 19 that I thought was hilarious and was shared by our friend uh, Morty Jones in our last episode we recorded with him the phrase he's canceled drew my attention when rereading this beautiful meme And I thought it might be a good subject for us to briefly address together in this short episode and specifically how we as Christians should respond to cancel culture. Hi everyone, it's Andrew with the After Church Podcast. Um, Recording a quick episode in a series of of episodes Josh and I are dubbing uh, the After Church Podcast minis. So I hope you're enjoying these. trying to record something a little bit shorter form than our usual set and uh, recording them individually so we can try to put more content out for you guys. So um, I wanted to spend a little bit of time to talk about this idea of cancel culture. If you've been anywhere around the internet recently, you've probably heard or have seen the phrase cancel culture thrown around for what seems like almost every other day on social media and in the news. It's usually plastered all over Facebook and especially Twitter. And it feels like every few hours a new person is being called out for doing something the Twitterverse has deemed controversial or problematic. So if you don't already know by now, what is cancel culture? What is this quote-unquote canceling everyone's talking about? Well, cancel culture, as I uh, pulled from Wikipedia the uh, best source for all things true on the internet. Uh, The definition they've given for cancel culture is a form of public shaming which aims to hold individuals and groups accountable for their actions by calling attention to behavior that is perceived to be problematic, uh, usually on social media. So um, on the outset, this seems like a good, laudable thing. Seeing wrongs righted. Keeping prominent figures in check who might otherwise never be held accountable for their actions. And boy, do we get pleasure from seeing justice swiftly carried out. I mean, our entertainment is pervaded by crime shows where murderers are caught in satisfyingly, nicely bow-wrapped one-hour episodes. And we erupt in cheers when our beefy, supernaturally enhanced superheroes finally land a good old-fashioned punch onto the low-down, despicable villain. 
And it's a no-brainer that we as a society justifiably celebrate when justice is served to those who are deserving of punishment. Uh, But to be honest, before I move on, I don't really want to um, call out or do I feel it necessary to go over any of the examples that we could probably pull out for this conversation. I'm sure you're all fully aware of all the different examples we could pull out, but I I still thought it would be interesting to talk about cancel culture uh, just from an outside perspective. So, like I said, from the outset, cancel culture seems like a good thing. But despite what praises are being said of cancel culture and justice being quote-unquote served, you've also probably heard counter-arguments made against it too, and how the whole thing's been toxic. With each new case of canceling, it looks to be getting increasingly more extreme each time social media erupts onto its next offender. And not just being satisfied with shaming them, but now they're maliciously seeking to excommunicate these people and see their careers and lives be utterly destroyed and flat out ended, ergo the canceling. So here we find ourselves today with those in favor of canceling people and others who vehemently argue against it. All the while, we as Christians are left watching this extremely vitriolic, flat-out hostile battle being played out before us in our Facebook feeds and amongst the water cooler talk with co-workers. So considering all that, how should we feel about cancel culture? Well, of course, the Bible is pretty clear that justice is important to God. The Bible is filled with scripture after scripture directing on how we ought to live our lives justly. Uh, In in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. This is the kind of scripture everyone can get behind without question. Problem is, this doesn't appear to be the underlying motive behind the actions we're seeing played out through social media and in cancel culture. So with me, I'm more interested in in what cancel culture says about our values as a society today. And uh, so so recently I pulled up a Gallup poll, uh, which was conducted in 2018, and it said that Americans' view of morals in the United States is... um, is pretty bad. Uh, it said 49% of Americans rated our country's values as poor, and only a meager 14% rated them as being good. So with this, we know it's, it's clear that as a nation, we feel pretty negatively about the direction of our country's morals and values. And so with cancel culture, I find it really interesting that in the midst of it and the midst of all the shameless gratuitousness of our entertainment our media and pop culture people are so quick to call out certain behaviors when so many other things they'll leave alone or even applaud morality in america and pretty much all over the world is turbulent and most of you uh, or and most will tell you that it's in the decline rather than improving As society and culture has evolved over the centuries, people's way of thinking about good and evil has shifted. It's it's never really been consistent over time. 
And this can clearly be seen today in political debates on a variety of subjects, which I won't go into, and how starkly polarizing they've become. And that's why we as Christians cannot rely on the world and the court of public opinion to be our barometer for morality. Are there things we can universally and equally agree is good and bad? Definitely, of course. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone or any groups of people that agree to like genocide, murder, uh, rape, mistreatment of women, and misogyny, but there's so much out there that we as Christians should not engage in that is accepted by the world and vice versa. So I want to talk about three things um, in this episode uh, that I find interesting about cancel culture and, and what I kind of drew from uh, evaluating cancel culture in the last year or so. So first, I feel like the default conservative Christian response to all this is to reject all utterances of cancel culture. If you follow Fox News, Ben Shapiro, you know, or anyone from the intellectual dark web, just pretty much any conservative outlets in general, you'll be coaxed to automatically respond to these stories with reserve and skepticism. And right now we're seeing memes and comedians joking about, um, you've probably heard how thin-skinned this generation is, and they, they love to call millennials snowflakes, you know. Um, and, and they joke about how we're all too sensitive and basically just need to toughen up. They'll encourage the easily offended, quote-unquote, to simply ignore what they're doing, um, what they themselves are doing out in the, in, in the media, and what they find offensive, what we find offensive, and just to move on. And while I, too, believe in the right to freedom of speech, as, you know, many of the conservative outlets will espouse, um, I, I believe in that as American Absolutely. As a Christian, though, I'm not okay with what some of these people are doing or saying, some of these comedians and some of these politicians. So the subject of whom the conservative opposition defends, right, definitely not out there trying to defend any foul-mouthed, irreverent comedians or corrupt politicians. And so that's one of the things I find troubling about cancel culture is the association, the counter-arguments people infer of you if you don't automatically agree to one side or the other. So if you agree in freedom of speech over people's feelings, you'll usually be branded as insensitive or callous, and you'll probably be ostracized by work friends because of your opinions. Uh, and then the converse of that is if you share amongst your conservative Christian friends that you understand the root of some of the arguments that are being made, um, even if you don't agree with or endorse the means and how they address these issues, you'll be marked for heresy and criticized for endorsing the left's agenda. You know, stuff like the debates on homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Um, but just to bring this all home, one example I can think of that has personally affected me, and surely after this episode, people will still have differing opinions on this, um, I still wanted to bring it up, is the arguments that are made regarding 
fat shaming. I think this is a, a perfect example, example exemplifying um, cancel culture, and you'll see what I mean here in just a moment. Um, but there's a there's this movement we're seeing of celebrities and and just pop culture in general that support people for being overweight and then even celebrate it, right? And so, you know, of course I agree. Being overweight has negative impacts to our health. That's a given. And for, you know, what what people are experiencing uh, because of this quote-unquote fat shaming, I can even agree to the tolerance aspect of the movement, right? Because me personally, I've, I've been a victim of, of, of that growing up. I've always struggled with weight growing up. And I've been at the other end of these fat jokes uh, nearly my whole teenage life and even into my adult life. Uh, I, and I grew up in the church. I went to Christian schools uh, all the way through high school. And, you know, kids were merciless, Christian kids even. Um, and it seems like it was justifiable, you know, that being overweight was a character flaw the way people saw it. So it was okay to criticize. And that's what these comedians, I feel like, are coming out and saying that fat shaming is actually a good thing since overweight people need to change anyways. And I felt like that mentality then and now has given people the right to make fun of people in the worst ways. I, along with many others, experienced this routinely at school, in youth group, and even at youth camps. Um... I, I was at the butt of a lot of these kinds of jokes. But I learned to tolerate them and even roll, quote-unquote, with the punches by playing jokes off of myself to lessen the probability of someone else doing it first. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot through those experiences. And I learned about myself and my own self-esteem. Uh, there was a lot to be learned through those kinds of experiences, I, I still feel. But, um, and, and of course, to be fair, as I matured over the years, my peers matured with me. And so those kind of things seem to have lessened after I, I got out of my teenage years. Um, and ultimately, as I got older, I, I learned to not let those things phase me anyways. So things sort of improve. But my point with all this is, is yes, I agree that America probably has an obesity epidemic problem. And it's something that needs to be addressed for sure. I also, on the other hand, do not feel it's justified to use that argument to marginalize or attack overweight people in the guise of honestly trying to help them. And... This is where I kind of wrap things up from earlier. I use this as an example to parallel how we treat these other groups who equally feel diminished and marginalized by society and historically the church. So even though we don't condone or endorse these groups, you know, talking about not just the the whole fat shaming movement, I use it as an example, but you can input the or fill in the blank for all these other groups. Even though we don't condone or endorse these groups' wrongs, we also don't take liberty through that to launch attacks either. Or at least I feel that we shouldn't. 
So I'm usually torn when I hear stories surrounding prominent people getting canceled for politically incorrect statements because I, un I understand partly where the offense is coming from. And let me be clear, even though I've not said anything specific, I do not condone or endorse what the Bible clearly says is wrong. So just putting that out there. But I simply wanted to draw what I feel is missing in our conversations about this topic with our peers and I feel severely lacking, and that's just simply empathy. I think this conversation is lacking compassion. Um, and even still, after saying all that, some of you guys will still be hung up on the whole sinful, immoral aspect of these arguments and, and saying that we're ignoring these things. You, you might be even saying, Andrew, we can't just sit idly and accept what they're doing. Right. Yes. Yeah, I agree. The Bible is clear about what God says is right and wrong. So that and, and that, in fact, is my counter argument, by the way, to PC culture and the moral decline of the United States is that God is the ultimate authority on morality. But should we as Christians engage in either one, arguing the case of canceling people or two uh, against it? So in a lot of instances, I feel my take on these stories has been, has been a bit nuanced because of those aforementioned things. So, like, for example, a comedian might be called out for his foul, distasteful joke. Might be racist, misogynistic, homophobic, or whatever, just for an example. And the media, of course, will pounce on him for it. And then tell me if you recognize this pattern. Uh, conservative outlets will come out and defend the comedian for his right to freedom of speech, and then even praise him for addressing the irrationality he's calling out. So whatever movement he's calling out or what have you, you fill in the blanks. Um, they'll praise him for that. And then this leads me to my second point, is that I think we as a society severely overestimate the effectiveness of canceling someone. Quote, unquote. So yes, I understand that uh, there are times when it is necessary and worthy uh, of a cause to address bigotry, misogyny, and other ignorant, immoral behaviors that are ignored by others, especially when it's carried out by prominent people in the public eye that abuse their influence or authority. However, there are times, too, when ignorance should be highlighted and an opportunity needs to be given towards individuals so that they could see their wrong and be given a chance to correct it. But what we're seeing instead is that most of these folks are using an individual slip-up to maliciously attack a person under the guise of virtue. They'll tell you they're simply eradicating a terrible wrong from the world, right? But people's true motives, I think, are shown most clearly in these kinds of scenarios because it shows that they're not interested in seeing people being forgiven or growing from or learning from, from, their, from their mistakes, Instead, any small blight equals utter obliteration. And by doing this, they feel that they've achieved some form of elevated righteousness and have done society a favor, especially if they were the ones to call it out first. This obviously has been abused, of course, and with the short attention span of the media, most of these cases get the full onslaught of the media for a short few weeks, and then the disgust wanes as we all move on with our lives. Some damage might have been done to the perpetrators or the victims in the process, but ultimately we as a society forget and wait for the next prey to pounce on.
Ultimately, what we attempt to do to these people really doesn't have the lasting effect society had hoped it would have. For some cases, yes, some were rightfully prosecuted and were penalized. But for some, especially if they were called out for a debatable offense, will eventually be able to brush off the encounter and move on unaffected. It's clear that in these cases, one, these perpetrators will essentially be unaffected and may not even exhibit any remorse. And two, that the outraged aren't really concerned, and this is my one of my big points here, is that they're not actually concerned about persuading the cancelee, if you will, of their wrong, but instead are more interested in advancing their agenda ahead of society's acceptance of their views. Their intent is to impose their ideologies on everyone else, whether they agree or not. And these evil people that they're calling out are simply prime examples highlighting their point. So the individuals at the center of the objectionable behavior almost never feel the full blunt of the attack, but instead those engaging in the debate surrounding the topic in question are the ones that are most affected. We are the ones who are, are being forced to choose sides. And in short, considering all that, cancel culture doesn't really achieve what the cancelers say their end goal actually is. So this leads me to my final point. We as Christians, in sharing a worldview that everyone else does not, Understand that God is the author of moral authority. Wagging our fingers at people might have some short-term effects of shaming someone, but even if they were able to get away with their crime or even go as far as to show no remorse, there are inescapable consequences to sin. And there is an ultimate justice that will be given in the judgment that we nor any wrongdoer have a say in. Yes, I agree. There are clear examples of people who need to have justice and punishment exacted on them, like Harvey Weinstein, for example. But, well, here are uh, some final, final, final points. Sorry, I know I said it already before, but here's some final points I'd like to make before I close before I close, before I end the podcast. Um, So, one, we're usually quick to cut down celebrities for their infractions, but consider how we can treat our own brothers and sisters in Christ in our own circles when they are caught in a wrong. Right? The Bible says, and um, I I read the scripture the other day and I thought it was interesting considering the subject, Says so the the Bible says in Galatians chapter six and verse one, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. The root of cancel culture, I feel, is that of our fleshly nature, in that by default, we love to see the demise of those who've messed up. We love to see people who have done wrong fall and fail. We love to see our rivals, our enemies stumble and fall, and we get pleasure from that. But scripture encourages us in these cases to not condemn these people, 
but instead to restore them and to recognize that we ourselves are not above failing. Do I think celebrities should be afforded mercy? In short, yes. I do think that they are capable, capable of being redeemed by God's grace. They need salvation just as much as any ordinary person does. And no, that doesn't mean we endorse the wrong or even tolerate it continuing. But I think we should show some restraint when it comes to quickly judging, especially if it's someone in our own circles. Number two, I think we also should be careful in watching our speech in these scenarios. That's another point. Scripture says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Some people feel that just being right is a license to berate, belittle, and harshly deal judgment. So to end this episode, I want to finally bring up a story I feel most closely exemplifies cancel culture in the Bible, believe it or not, and best represents how we ought to react to those who have been caught in wrongdoing. In John 8, there's a story told of a woman caught in adultery whom they brought to Jesus to have justice swiftly administered to, to have her canceled. The scripture says that they did this to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. And this is what culture is doing with us whenever we are confronted with these kinds of stories. We're being tested to see what our response is or what side we'll take. And they were all, all those men that brought the adulterous woman before Jesus, they were all waiting there with a stone in their hand. And surprisingly, Jesus, instead of saying all, you know, making counter arguments and, and giving them a speech, he simply bent down and started to draw on the ground. Right. And there's all this debate as to what he was writing on the ground. But ultimately, whatever it was that what whatever he did there in that moment, it convicted the men. And they began to leave one by one. So Jesus asked her where her accusers were after they after they'd left. They'd been convicted by what what Jesus had, whatever he had written on the ground, whatever he had done. So I'll, I'm, I want to finish this podcast by reading from verse 10 through 11. And it says, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So, that's pretty much all I got. Uh, Hopefully you guys got something out of it. Thanks for listening. Um, I, I could definitely spend a little bit more time fleshing out more of, uh, of this topic, but I, I just wanted to inject some thoughts into your mind today. Um, and then, you know, kind of just hear back what you guys think about it. So I'd love to hear your feedback and any comments you might have. Let me know what you think about this subject too. And if you agree with me, but, um, with that, um, thank you guys for listening and tuning in and we'll catch you again 
in the next episode. Have a blessed day.